This podcast contains adult themes and is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. If you enjoy this content, please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you listen, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Tales Driftwood. Driftwood, where story is everything. As always, I am your host, Eric, and today I'll be bringing you Chapter 15 of Hyde. Before we get started, let's talk about what happened last week. Julian and Wade were radioed by Liam and Dorian, who told them that the plan had blown up and they were being attacked. Julian and Wade raced down to the aid of the other two members of the team, and they were all promptly attacked by bandits and guards of the town. After a deadly firefight, all four members of the team were left standing, and several bandits had been killed. When we left the team, Julian was explaining that they all had to go into the graveyard to get into Hyde. So with all that being said, I give you Hyde Chapter 15, The Graveyard. As they entered the graveyard, Julian felt chills go up and down his spine. It wasn't the fact that it was a cold night, nor was it even the fact that they were entering the place where most of Hyde's fallen had been buried. The fact that just dawned on him that this was the first time he had been back here since his mother's burial. He looked to his left at the hill that rose above the rest of the cemetery. He knew Harmony McCoy's marker had been there when he had left Hyde 15 years ago. The question was whether or not Benedict had done anything to it out of spite. He set his jaw and put his mind to the task at hand. Perhaps there would be time to visit his mother where she laid once his job was complete. For now, his team was beaten and bruised and missing two members, and they hadn't even entered the walls yet. Fear gripped him as he remembered what Horace had said when he had first told Julian about the tunnel. He said that it may not even be there. Self-doubt crept into his mind as he began to overthink the situation. What am I doing here? I have no business leading anyone, I'm just a fool. I thought because I had some shiny weapons and some money that I could magically come back here and kill my enemies? What a joke. 
What snapped Julian out of his self-deprecating state was the appearance of the graveyard. When they had first entered, everything had seemed normal enough. Now, as they journeyed further in and were using several small flashlights to see where they were going, Julian started noticing that there were a few things that were off about the graveyard. They began to feel things beneath their feet as they walked, and upon further inspection it was shown to be pieces of stone markers. Julian shone his light around and realized that quite a few of the stone markers were smashed to bits. As they looked around, they also noticed that some of the markers that had been left standing were circled with stones and sticks. Within the circles themselves lay what looked like animal bones. Dorian shuddered as they passed a particularly gruesome grave. Animal blood had been smeared over the marker and remains of a dead squirrel sat haughtily on top of the stone. His face was pale as he looked over at Julian. You sure have some odd burial rituals here in Hyde. Julian shook his head forcefully. No. No, this isn't us. We buried our dead normally, just like everyone else. There wasn't any weird voodoo or whatever this is going on. Wade stooped and picked something off the ground. Well, it seems as though times have changed, Jules. Julian looked in horror at the human skull Wade had just picked off off the ground. What in God's good name is happening here? His voice wavered near the end as he pictured someone digging up his mother and leaving her body like the poor soul Wade had just found. Dorian cleared his throat. So, what's the plan anyway? I say this just because the first plan went so well, this next one is sure to be a winner. Julian ignored the sarcasm dripping from Dorian's comment and turned to face the group. We're looking for a statue of my grandfather. Apparently there's a tunnel underneath it that we can use to get into Hyde. They all looked at him blankly for a moment before Dorian gave him a harsh laugh. <laughs> That's the new plan? Jesus Christ, this is great. So we're going to wander around this fucking graveyard where all this freaky burial shit takes place, hope we find the statue, and then hope there's a tunnel underneath it, getting us into the city where we're probably going to be shot on sight? Oh yeah, this is fucking great. Julian stepped angrily towards him and fixed him with a fiery glare. I've had enough of your attitude, Dorian. It is what it is now. The plan we had at first was good, but it didn't work out. We don't have many options now, so if you don't want to find the tunnel with us, fine. Stay here in the graveyard with your messed up leg until someone finds you and finishes the job that the bandit started. At least I'm giving you a fighting chance to survive here. Dorian stared back at him angrily. We wouldn't even be in this position right now if it wasn't for you. I knew we were wrong to trust you, but the money was too good and you sucked Liam in because of his goddamn path. Face it, friend. We're just a bunch of guys with some scattered skills trying to take down a well-guarded fortress. What chance did we really have coming into this thing? The sign of a true leader is knowing when to walk away from a situation that will get his men killed, but obviously that thought never crossed your mind. Liam lightly tapped Dorian on his stomach. But alright, alright boys. You both said your piece. Dorian, you're easily outvoted here, and your leg's all messed up as Julian said. So we're using the tunnel, and we're going in. Let's not keep discussing it before someone or something we don't want to deal with shows up. At that moment, all four boys heard a noise to the left of them. They all instinctively went down, Liam drawing his revolver and Wade drawing both of his swords quickly. They hunched in quiet apprehension as they heard nearly silent footsteps falling softly towards them. Julian looked over and saw Dorian grimacing in pain, feeling a jab of shame in his gut as he did. Perhaps Dorian was right. 
Maybe he wasn't cut out to be a leader after all. He heard the footsteps falling closer to where his group was hunkered down, and carefully looked over the gravestone he had taken cover behind. What he saw was a girl, maybe a few years younger than himself, looking around wildly in terror. She was wearing jeans and a large oversized blouse. It appeared as though she was holding the bottom of the blouse high up to her chest, revealing a pale, flat stomach that shone off the moonlight of the night. Julian slowly stood up, and she spotted him instantly, freezing as they made eye contact. Her mouth made rapid movements as she looked him over, perhaps trying to hold in a scream. He carefully took a step forward as if he were approaching a baby deer. Miss, I was wondering... It was all he managed to get out before she issued a strangled cry and dashed away from him towards the wall of hide. He stood frozen for a moment, not really sure what to do. He didn't know what he had even intended to ask her, but she had looked so terrified that he wanted to comfort her somehow. Instead, he had scared her further. He started to run after her, but before he could build up any momentum, a figure darted out from behind a gravestone and tackled the girl, knocking her to the ground. As she fell, the reason why she had been holding her blouse high to her chest was revealed, as about a dozen apples flew out from where she had been holding them to her body. Angrily, Julian stormed towards the dark figure standing over the girl, wanting only to protect this seemingly innocent person. As he approached, the figure turned and smiled at him. Julian let out a sigh of relief and then narrowed his eyebrows at the figure. Wade, what the hell are you doing? Wade shrugged innocently. You were trying to talk to her, then she ran. Then it looked like she was going to get away, so I stepped in. Besides, I barely touched the poor girl. She went down like a sack of potatoes before I could get my hands on her. They looked down at the terrified figure in the grass and saw that she was shaking in fright, but there was also uncertainty on her face. Julian took a step towards her and she carefully rose from where she had fallen. Looking at him with a face that shone of purity, Julian gave her a sincere smile. Hello, my name is Julian. I'm sorry that me and my friend here scared you. Are you alright? She looked from Julian to Wade, and then back to Julian. You don't look like them. You don't look like anyone. Wade frowned. We look like us. She shrank back at the harsh tone of his voice, and Julian shot Wade a cold look. He looked back at the girl and smiled kindly at her. What's your name, miss? She looked back at Julian, and he thought he saw a flicker of a smile cross her mouth before she looked down at the ground. Michaela. She looked ruefully down at the ruined apples strewn across the grass. He made me drop my apples. Julian nodded sheepishly and rubbed the back of his neck. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that. We just weren't really expecting to see anyone here in the graveyard. He thoughtfully rubbed his chin. Actually, we didn't really know what to expect here. Her face softened as she listened to him speak, but then immediately tensed up again as she saw Liam approaching, helping along a limping Dorian. Julian extended his hand towards her. It's okay, they're with me. After thinking for a moment, he added, We're here to help. She looked at him curiously when he said that, and then brightened instantly. Help? You want to help us? Julian nodded at her honestly. Yes, but we need your help if you want us to help you. A look of hope crossed her face and she actually began to smile. You're, you're serious, aren't you? You're not from Hyde, are you? Who sent you? Liam chuckled lightly. You're wrong, girlie. Our boy Julian is from your sweet little town. He's a real McCoy. 
The girl's face filled with wonderment at this, and she lifted her gaze towards Julian. You're... no. All the McCoys are dead. Unless... are you Julian? Julian nodded sheepishly, as her look of desperation and fear had become a look of awe, as if she was looking at a god walking amongst men. Her face quickly changed to doubt again, and she backed up several steps. No. Julian McCoy died years ago when his house burned down. I was just a little girl then, but I remember because that's when everyone started to say that things were going to get bad. She looked down at the ground in despair. And they did get bad. Julian didn't hear the last part as he was shaking with rage. They burned it down? They burned my house down? She looked up in amazement at him. They burned McCoy Manor down. Keep your voice down or they'll come for us. Julian closed his eyes and the rage subsided. He opened his eyes and looked at the girl. There were conflicting emotions bubbling under her surface. Hope, suspicion, apprehension, elation. Dorian shifted nervously against Liam. Who do you keep talking about, miss? Who is going to come for us? Without warning, they heard a noise that sounded like a horn coming from directly behind them. Uttering a small moan of dread, Michaela lunged at Julian, catching him off guard and knocking him on his back. Surprised, he looked up into her eyes. She was weeping, as if the tears had been resting in her eyes, begging for an excuse to be let out. He began to speak, but before he could, she put her hand over his mouth. Warm tears splashed down on Julian's face as she looked at him sorrowfully. If they find us, they'll do more than kill us. I don't want to end up like the others. Julian had no idea what she was talking about, but her urgency was tangible. He looked up from his position on the ground at the others, who all had bewildered expressions on their faces. Get behind a gravestone, all of you, he hissed underneath his breath. I don't think we want to meet whoever's coming right now. The three boys scampered quickly over to Julian's position and kneeled down next to him. Julian gently took hold of Michaela, guiding her off of him slowly and putting her between he and Wade. He carefully looked around the gravestone he was behind and felt chills go up his back. There was a procession of people, around 20, walking down the path towards where they were hunched. They were moving slowly, almost seemingly as one. Every member of the procession was wearing a dark robe with a hood covering their head, except for the lead three. One of the lead men was quite short, probably around five foot five. He also wore a robe, but his robe was blood red compared to the rest of the group. Strange tattoos covered his face, and he was wearing a belt that was loaded with shiny things. Julian began to strain his eyes to see what the shiny things were, and then realized he didn't have to. Several of the dark hoods were carrying torches that were illuminating the path for them to walk, and he could clearly see what was in the red hood's belt. Several small knives, five to be exact, and about ten metal flint lighters. Also looped carefully around one side of the belt was a thick whip. Julian was not as concerned about this man as he was about the monster walking next to him. He could barely believe his eyes, but he was staring at a giant, easily the biggest man he had ever seen. The man looked as if he could pick up the red-hooded man in the palm of his hand if he wanted to. He had to be close to seven feet tall, and as muscle-bound as Julian had ever seen. He was not wearing a robe, in fact he was only wearing simple pants and a pair of boots. His chest was bare and covered with the same tattoos that adorned the Red Hood's face. Julian shuddered as the group drew closer. 
The hulking man's face was covered with a hideous mask that appeared to be made out of some thick leather. Large leather straps crisscrossed his bare chest, and strapped to his back was the biggest axe Julian had ever seen. He supposed that for the man's size, the axe wasn't that disproportionate for the Colossus to be using. Just as he thought that, he noticed the gargantuan hammer swinging to and fro from the man's belt. Fear gripped Julian's stomach tightly as he rolled back over to look at his own group. Dorian, Liam, and Wade all shared a ghostly white complexion and seemed to be struggling with what they were seeing. Michaela had apparently already seen enough, as she had her head down and her body shuddered in small little sobs. She was shaking uncontrollably and for a moment Julian was afraid that she was having some kind of convulsion. He put a soothing hand on her leg, expecting her to jump in apprehension, but she simply did not move at all. Troubled, Julian looked back towards the approaching procession. There was something about the figure in front of the red hood and leather mask that disturbed him even more than those two. The person had a different gait than the others. He seemed to almost float along the ground rather than walk. His robes were dark blue with red trim all around. Julian struggled to see his face, but the figure's hood was up over its head, keeping its face hidden for now. Julian looked down the pathway that the procession was moving down to see what their destination was. Somewhere near the center of the graveyard was something strange that he had never seen here before. On the ground was a circular wedge of stone, and jutting out from the middle of it was a pillar of sorts. Julian frowned to himself. He was not even inside the town walls yet, and already he was bothered by what he had seen. He felt the dark procession advancing right behind the marker he was hiding behind, and instinctively flattened against the ground. He looked over at his companions. Liam had his head down and was crossing himself. Dorian was rubbing his leg, wincing as he did. Wade had his eyes glued on Julian, and his hands glued to the hilts of his swords. He gave Julian a questioning nod towards the group, and Julian firmly shook his head back and forth. He loved Wade's loyalty, but his impulsiveness was beginning to wear on him. He felt as though if he were not around to monitor Wade's every move, Wade might do something to seriously get himself into trouble. Julian turned back to look at the procession. They had reached their destination and were standing in front of the pillar. Every one of the Black Hoods were standing off of the stone circle, with the only ones being allowed entry onto it, the blue-robed person, the red hood, and the leather mask. Julian considered the fact that, although this was not the largest group of people he had ever seen by any means, it was certainly the most quiet. The only sound that had been made since they had entered the graveyard was the horn that had been blown. He looked around the group and noticed a horn that looked like it came from the Old Testament hanging from the blue robe's neck. As he watched, the blue robe slowly brought his hands up and uncovered his head. Julian's blood ran cold as he instantly recognized the man underneath the hood. Lucas Santana. All the childhood memories of seeing Santana and being petrified of him came rushing back to Julian as he looked at the sinister face. Santana had his signature smile on his face, which had always looked more to Julian like the face of a viper, always prepared to strike and always dripping venom from its mouth. Santana made a wide sweeping motion with his arms and spoke. My children, it is good for us to be together here. The forces of chaos are pleased with our work. His grin seemed more maniacal than ever as he paced back and forth in front of his audience, his glare shifting from face to face. He had aged, 
yet his hair was still done in the same hectic style he had arranged in when Julian was a boy. Half braided, half blown out. The forces of order are still strong, my children. I believe that some of you have misunderstood my message. We are not at war with the order. Nay, without order we would all perish. In our universe there must be both order and chaos. We have chosen to be the servants of chaos, to be the dark reflection of the light of order. Some may mock our ways, call us insane, yet they are the ones that truly do not understand the sacrifices we go through in order to keep the ways of the universe in check. Santana stopped dead in the middle of the circle. He slowly turned his head towards his followers and pointed a bony, wraith-like finger into the crowd. Sacrifice! Those who stand in our way will feel our sacrifice since they choose not to accept it. Bring forth the agent of order who opposes our work. The crowd parted slightly and Julian realized that all the time he had been studying Santana and his captains, he had not noticed that there was a man stripped of everything except his undergarments, with a black hood shoved unceremoniously over his head. This man was now thrown from the group of black hoods onto the stone circle. Santana laughed in vile pleasure as the man cried out in pain as his knees hit the stone. He motioned with his left hand towards the hulk of a man next to him. Wrath, my son. Take the blinders off of the sacrifice. Perhaps he will truly see once we show him the way. The man in the leather mask, who apparently Santana called Wrath, walked over slowly to the trembling man and ripped the hood off of his head. The man looked up and moaned lowly in terror. A puddle formed underneath him as his bladder released at the sight of Santana and his captains. Santana observed this and laughed cruelly, never losing his sick grin and never taking his eyes off of his captive. You knew that if you interfered in my work, you would have to meet me, didn't you? The poor man could only stare blankly at Santana, quaking with fear as he did. The man's silence seemed to enrage Santana as the smile disappeared from his lips and he rushed up to the man's cowering face. You know my face, do you not? The man nearly vomited the words out they came so fast. Y yes, 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 I know you. Santana's smile returned as he took pleasure in the man's discomfort. Good. Now tell me, Lightwalker, why have you meddled in my affairs? The man gulped and looked around wildly, searching for any means of rescue. Seeing none, he sighed in resignation. It... it was my daughter. Three of your men, they... they tried to take her, so... so they could do things to her. I fought them off. Santana brought his hands up to his chin, folding them and considering the frightened man before him. I see. So the fact that my people tried to desecrate your daughter gave you agitation? The man burst into tears. Of course it did. Is there nothing sacred to you people? The bandits have stolen our way out and Benedict gives us nothing? Now we have to worry about you people breaking into our homes and taking our children? For God's sake, you people used to be our friends and neighbors. Santana again chuckled coldly and motioned out towards his followers. Your pleas fall on deaf ears, my friend. Now let me explain to you how our system of cleansing works. Usually, I give the violator two choices. Death or join. 
Both have chosen to join my family, but I feel that you are a special case. He again drew close to his victim and smiled wickedly at him. For your presumption to know better than I do, this is what is going to happen. My people will come for your daughter again. This time, they will take her. They will do what they will with her, and then she will become one of my flock. She will take your intended place, because you will no longer be around to combat my forces. He spun around suddenly and motioned to the Red Hood. Malice, wrath, dispose of this Lightwalker. The Red Hood, who appeared to be Malice, grabbed his whip with lightning quickness and sent it towards the groveling man with surgeon-like precision. It coiled around the man's neck, with one last groan escaping the man before he was jerked quickly towards the small man. Wrath the giant approached from the opposite side of the stone circle, drawing his giant hammer as he did. He gripped the handle with both hands as the captured man put his hands around the whip and tried to struggle to his feet. Wrath brought the hammer down on the man's left leg with full force, the man issuing a blood-curdling scream as he did. The monster put his head down slowly, as if he had done something wrong, lowering the hammer till its head was touching the floor. The man writhed in agony, choking himself on the whip as he moved back and forth. Wrath slowly walked to the man's other side, dragging the head of the hammer against the floor as he did. When he reached the man's other side, he looked up, brought up the hammer again, and smashed it against the man's right leg, bringing out another strangled scream from the victim. Julian stared in horror at the scene, caught up in rapt attention as the most awful thing he had ever seen in his life. With one flick of his wrist, Malice released the whip from the man's neck, leaving a large red ring as evidence that it had been there, and walked away. The two captains took their positions at opposing sides of the stone circle, and Santana advanced menacingly. He reached into his robes and brought out what appeared to be a small scythe, small only in the sense that Santana could hold it in one hand. The blade curved maliciously and looked as though it could cut through anything. Santana grabbed the poor man by the hair, raising his head so that he could look him in the eyes. He grinned his sadistic grin and raised the scythe, the moonlight glinting ominously off of the blade as he did. I shall taste your daughter's flesh myself, Lightwalker. With that, he brought the scythe down with all of his force, cutting off the man's head in one motion. Julian could not believe his eyes. He had never seen something so senselessly violent in his entire life. He had justified his killings of the day up to this point as necessary, a matter of survival. But this was completely different. This was worse than homicide. Santana had made a show of this man, his own personal marionette with which he could play with his emotions. He had chosen to destroy this man simply for defending his daughter and then told the man that they would have his daughter anyway before murdering him in the most grisly way possible. Julian's head was spinning as he sat there, when suddenly he heard a small commotion next to him. Glancing over, he saw that Liam had lost control of himself and was walking purposely out from behind the gravestone, drawing his revolver as he did. Dorian, seemingly somewhat recovered from his leg injury, was in pursuit of him with Wade right behind him. Julian stood quickly and put himself between Liam and the crowd, which thankfully had its back to them. Not now, Liam. We have to get inside the walls first. Liam's face was red with rage as he looked at Julian. D did you hear? 
Did you hear? Did you hear what that man said? He was just standing up for... for his family. And they killed him for it. He fumbled out, stammering in his rage. Julian nodded. I know, I know. But if we act now, we'll be slaughtered. We need to get into hide. Now. He looked around wildly, searching for Michaela, and found her standing, her face as white as marble. He took Liam's arm and led him over to the girl quickly, getting him out of the path before anyone saw them. Michaela, how do you get out of the town to pick apples? She looked at him with quietly resigned eyes. There's... there's a tunnel, under a statue of an old man. Julian nodded quickly. That's what we were looking for. You need to take us there, now. Wade glanced over as Julian said this. He and Horace had many talks about the way Julian spoke with sudden command in his voice every now and then. This was one of those times, as everyone in the group stared at Julian in awe. Michaela's jaw dropped open and she wagged her head up and down with no protest. You're really him, aren't you? You've come back. Julian nodded. Yes, but it'll all be for nothing if we can't get inside. Do you understand? She spun around wordlessly and began to run through the graveyard. Julian motioned for the others to follow him and they did, running silently, dodging gravestones and other debris as they did. A loud chanting started behind them and Julian managed to look back even as he ran. Santana's mouth was covered in blood and he was holding up the severed head for all of his followers to see. Julian grimaced as he turned back around, wishing that he had never dared to glance backwards. A few moments later, the group was standing in front of a statue of a man holding a key. The statue was standing regally in the middle of a pool of water. Without hesitation, Michaela climbed into the pool and began to wade towards the statue in the center. The others looked at Julian for direction and he simply shrugged and followed the girl, with the others following right behind him into the pool. As Julian watched Michaela, she reached the statue in the center and dove underneath the water. Following suit, Julian dove as well. He opened his eyes underneath the water and saw her in front of him, kicking momentarily and then rising up and disappearing altogether. Quickly kicking his legs, he swam hard to catch up with her and ran straight into a wall. Panicking, he floated up to the surface expecting to come up in front of the statue, but instead he came up in a dark passageway. A light blinded him as he looked up and saw Michaela holding a torch and smiling at him. Julian McCoy, welcome home. Thank you so much for joining me for Chapter 15 of Hyde. Next week, we will be back inside the walls of Hyde for the first time since Julian was a child. Will what Julian witnessed in the graveyard convince him to abandon his plan? Will his team be enough to overturn the tyrannical leadership of Jeffrey Benedict? You'll have to listen next week to find out. So until we meet again, make your story a good story. And maybe, someday, I'll be telling your story. Be safe out there, everyone. Goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.